my name is Matt. I'm, I'm the pastor for teaching and, and equipping here at Anthem. And I, I just want to say welcome. Those of you who this is your first Sunday, uh, I hope that you are getting connected with others here. And what I want to do this morning is just lay out a clear vision for why we exist as a church. We do this every fall about this time, and it just reminds us as a body, as a church. And for those of you who are coming in, it gives you a picture of where we're headed and what we're about. And uh, this morning, I think it's helpful why we would do this, uh, to use a kind of a famous story about vision, a famous illustration. So some of you have heard this before, but uh, you've probably heard of this guy, uh, John F. Kennedy. If not, this is why you're in college, right? Uh, welcome to university. Uh, and uh, John F. Kennedy, dapper looking man, right? Uh, and he's off looking into the distance, right? And, and he's known as a man of vision. And the vision he was most famous for articulating was a vision that he gave in 1961 when he gave a speech and he said that by the end of the decade that we would put a man on the moon. We'd put a man on the moon. Now at that time that was complete, that was crazy talk, right? We barely even put anyone into orbit around the world. And, and he said, we are going to land, see that rock out there? Everyone's like, yeah, that big rock? Yeah, we're going to land on that rock. I'm like, okay, okay, let's see how that happens, right? But he gave a clear vision, and, and over that time then, they began working specifically toward that vision. When NASA was, was developed, and they began refining their vision towards that specific vision, that by the end of the decade, they would put a man on the moon. And there's a famous story of when JFK, a few years later, was walking through the halls of NASA, and he walked up to a, a janitor that was cleaning, and it was, you know, late at night, and he's cleaning, and, and JFK said, hey, what are, what are you doing there? And the man turned to him, and he said to him, the janitor, he said, I'm putting a man on the moon. See, why that's important is because it means that throughout all of NASA, throughout all of the government, throughout all the agencies that were working, through every single individual, there was the, a clear vision in their minds of what they were doing. And not only of what they were doing, but their contribution and how their part played a role in accomplishing that vision. It was clear, it was compelling, and everyone could see what their contribution was. And of course, on July 20th, 1969, that vision was accomplished when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. Many said it couldn't happen, but because of that clear and compelling vision and the contribution of thousands of in tens of thousands, working towards that one clear goal, they were able to accomplish it. What I want to do this morning is I want to lay out clearly our vision as a church. I want to make it as clear as possible. Yes, compelling. But also what I want to do is I want to, as I do this, I want to help you see what your place in this vision is. This is not just some, let's build a kingdom and let's, let's orient, make some big, I don't know, some kingdom of man, build it around a couple of people and, and build a platform for them. This is what is the, the vision that Christ has for this church and the calling that he has upon each and every one of you in the midst of that. Our vision as a church is that we would help you, help people, know, love, and obey Jesus Christ. That we would help people know, love, and obey Jesus Christ. We believe that if 
we help individuals know Jesus, make the truth of Jesus known. Then when they know the truth of Jesus, they will not be able but to fall in love with him as they see him more clearly and what he has done, who he is. And as they fall more deeply in love with him, then actually you can almost say, and enjoy him. It's the same as obedience. That they would enjoy him so much. They would love him so much. That out, what would flow out of that is an obedient life, responding to his call for their life. And specifically for us, you know, Kennedy had kind of his moonshot. I think there was a business book called that, right? The moonshot, right? What, what was, what's the moonshot? Well, the moonshot for us is that within five years, we would see 1% of Columbia know, love, and obey Jesus. 1% of Columbia know, love, and obey Jesus. Now you say, why, why that number? Why, why are we even talking about, like, stats? Because in Columbia, it matters. Pre-COVID, the stats were somewhere around, in Columbia, 14% of this city attends a church on Sunday morning. 14%. That's low. Like, Europe low. Okay? <laughs> like, in the Midwest, same, uh, St. Louis and Kansas City are considered low, and they're around 25 to 28%. But around 14% of the city attends church on a Sunday. That's just attending church. Now, that's pre-COVID numbers as well. We don't know where those are. Maybe they've gone up a little bit. But here's the thing. We are trusting the Lord that we would see 1% of this city come to know, love, and obey Jesus Christ. And I'll come back to that. Honestly, numbers are numbers. It gives us a moonshot, right? It gives us something that we're aiming for. We don't know. The Lord will provide the outcome. At the same time, that's what we're aiming for. And so what I want to do is I want to lay out why this vision, okay? why this vision, uh, how we'll go about it, and then what the result will be. So uh, let me just pray briefly again, and I will jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you uh, for this time together, Lord. We pray that you would make clear, Lord, why we are pursuing this vision as a church. Lord, why we keep it central. Lord, why anyone in this room should lean into that vision. What our part is, what our contribution is to that. And Lord, give us a clear picture of the road ahead. Lord, and we ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, so why this vision? Uh, I, I like to ask the question why a bunch. And I've actually learned, I have three kids. I've learned this from my kids. <laughs> uh, our kids, just the other day, why is our, my rice sticky? Right? Uh, because it's boiled in water. Why does it have to be boiled in water? Uh, because somehow water makes rice like softer. Why does it make it softer? And then before too long, you're like in a periodic table and you're amazed by the mystery of rice. Yesterday, one of our children, my wife got, you know, like the cool jeans that are all ripped up, uh, you know. Anyways, I was like, what? Were those new? Uh, but my, our, our daughter, she goes up, she was like, did, and I think she'd seen, the, you know, the joke going around the meme, but she goes, did you get in a fight? Like my mom, she, mom comes in with ripped jeans and she goes, did a bear attack you, All right? And then why do bears attack? Why did you get in a fight with a bear, right? Like what happened, the why question is, as you ask why, you get, and my kids have taught us this, that as they ask questions, it goes deeper and deeper and deeper to the point that you're like, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I don't know why I'm a parent. I don't, just don't listen to a word I say. Just, you're in charge. I don't know anything, right? The best way to learn why you're doing something is to repeatedly ask why. So I call this the, the five levels of why. Some of you have done this for different things. And so I want, I want to do this. I'm going to apply it to our vision statement. 
why, why do we find it important to help people know, love, and obey Jesus? Why? Why is that our vision statement? First reason, because Jesus is the source of life. Because Jesus is the source of life in joy, in satisfaction, in delight, in freedom. See, Jesus is not like every other religious teacher where he came and he said, listen, I have a system I can teach you. I have a way of life I can teach you. I have a truth I can teach you. Jesus is the only religious leader who came along and said, I am the truth. wanted to do that. Uh, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's not just some kind of like, hey, there's a door here and you got to go through me, and it's just a, kind of this rule book. But he's saying, because the delight, as John will, or Jesus will pray a few chapters later in the presence of his Father, there is a delight that I've had since before the foundation of the world, a glory that I've shared with you, and I want them to know that. Jesus wants us to know him so we would know the life we were designed for. He wants us to fall in love with him so our hearts would be free and we would know the thing that satisfies our soul and obey him because that obedience is actually freedom. Now, why is that important? That's great. Why is that important? Because people live their lives knowing, loving, and obeying something lesser. I'm not going to say those people out there, they, they live for something else. No, all of us swim in the cultural waters. All of us need to be reminded of this truth. But yes, those who don't know Jesus, even more, this is why the Bible talks about, if you don't know Christ, that it's slavery. That you'll be manipulated by the world around you. That you'll be driven by things that are lesser, that make false promises to you. Write checks that they can't cash. But here's the issue. It's not a question of if you will obey someone, if you will know something, if you will lo love it, if you will obey it. It's a question of what or who. Every human being taps their life into meaning, of meaning into something. Some truth claim to build their life on, something to give their affections to, and out of that will come their legacy. And the reason why this is our vision is because so many individuals build it on something lesser and something lesser, and we want to make sure that we're building it on that thing that is more. So why is it important? Again, deeper. Because we aren't made for lesser things, but better things. Every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being is made for relationship with their creator. Every human being has an opportunity to respond, to be reconciled to God, to be in relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that, as Psalm 16 and 11 says, so that forevermore, we would, where Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, we would have joy forevermore. We 
we're made for something better. Why is that important? Because Jesus has made a way for us to find life in him. Why is it important? If it was just we're made for, not made for lesser things, but better things, what if that's how the story ended? It very well could. But Jesus has made a way. That means we're not stuck. It means we're not without rescue. It means we're, we're not here without any kind of a hope, but we have been given a hope. And not only a hope, but Jesus, Hebrews says, he came into the world for the joy set before him in order to save us. His love for his people, scorning the shame of the cross to save his people. Why is that important? Because it means in the midst of the chaos around us, there is hope. This is that getting down to that fifth layer. It means in the midst of the chaos around us, there is hope. No matter what is going on in your life, no matter what is going on around us, no matter there is something that is above the fray, there is something that is deeper than our greatest fears. There's a rock, and his name is Jesus. No matter what's going on in the world around us, if we know him, then we will have all that we actually need. See, here's the reason why I'm excited about this vision. The reason why I think it's exactly what our world needs right now is because everything around us is in a place of chaos. And at the end of the day, there are so many different things that we could know and that we could love and that we could obey. But at the end of the day, all of those things have to be pushed aside and focused, and we have to focus on Jesus. And if we do, no matter what chaos comes, there'll be joy. And here's the thing, I don't, honestly, I don't, I don't want just 1% of Colombia to know that. I want everyone to know that. Right? You, you want a vision that it's not just something you can put a number beside it, but it's something bigger than that. I want the world to know that. If we apply ourselves to that, if we focus ourselves on that, Leave the outcomes to the Lord. It will completely transform this city. Starting with each individual life that we come in contact with. That's why we'll focus on it like a laser beam. So that's why this vision. How we'll go about it. How we'll go about it. Sorry guys, I feel, I'm just going to say it out loud. I feel weird because I'm doing a vision and then I have a handheld microphone. So I feel like I'm doing like one of those seminars. Like everyone. Reach under your seat. Someone got a brand new car, right? Uh, so I'm just going to say it out loud. So <laughs> I feel a little awkward with this thing in my hand. Uh, so how we'll go about it, though. Uh, so here's the thing. I don't know if, I don't remember if we said something earlier, but Anthem is actually five years old today. Yeah. Okay, okay we didn't say it. Okay, I can tell. <gasps> right? Uh, Anthem's actually five years old today. And we're, we're talking about having a, a, a celebration soon. Uh, it kind of snuck up on us. We're like, oh, you know, like the night before when you're like, you find out like it's, oh my goodness, it's our kid's birthday tomorrow. How fast is Amazon? <laughs> Did they get those drones yet? Uh, and we realized and we're like, we're, we're going to celebrate this, but today, if, today is five years old. And, and here's the thing, I, I moved here, my wife and I did about a year and a half ago. 
And so we came in kind of the, uh, you know, two quarters or what, two thirds of the way through where we're at now. And I remember one of the things talking to folks and it's kind of like they're looking around because here's the thing, only 5%, I think, 2%, uh, it's a really low number, of churches make it that far. Like even survival, let alone growing as Anthem has grown. It's incredibly, I remember when we got here, it was like I was talking to folks and they're just like, yeah, this is just what happens. And I was like, no, it doesn't, right? This is incredibly rare. It's incredible work that God has done. That God has done by his grace. And here's the thing. We want to be good stewards of what God has started as we enter this next season. Many of you have been along in your hard work, the toil, the stewarding of your lives towards this. You've seen growth in breadth and in depth. And we want to be good stewards of what this next season looks like. Because here's the thing, it's one thing to survive. We're at a pivot point now, an inflection point though. Where now what does it look like to really thrive in this next season? And to do that, we have to be very purposeful in what we do as we move forward. Uh, one of the biblical texts that has guided our thinking as we've sought the Lord in this is Matthew 7. Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and, a great, and great was the fall of it. See, Jesus here is primarily speaking to individuals. But I think it can be applied to the church as well. Jesus is saying here, think, think like an architect. Think like a, a construct, like a, who's the guy, a, a foreman who's building a house, right? Have a wise blueprint in how you go about constructing your life and how you go about constructing the church and building the church, how you do it. Be very careful. Be wise. And here's the thing. Uh, so what I want to do is, I, I want to share, I guess I would say a blueprint. Give you a little bit of an idea of the blueprint of how things look moving forward. And just kind of a blueprint for those of you who haven't been with us who are new, just an, a picture of what Anthem, how we do things at Anthem. And, uh, and here's what I would say. Anthem is a construction site. Uh, it's just a construction site where moms and dads are walking around with babies on their back, right? Uh, but it's a construction site. And by God's grace, we will always be under construction. The church is never a finished product until it's complete in Jesus Christ at his second coming. So we'll always be under construction. But just right now, a new phase is beginning. And here's the first thing at a construction site that I want to hit first, which is a process of excavation. Jesus says, be very careful what you build on. So we can jump ahead to where Jesus is saying, build something, have a foundation, and build up a house. But he says, be very careful what you build on. And all of us know it. If you've ever built, you know, a castle or something on the, my kids learned this on vacation, on the beach, right? And you build it on the sand, and then they build it, and they're like, Daddy, look at that. And right as I get my camera, and I'm like, ah. And the wave comes in and knocks it over, right? And it's gone. Jesus says, be very careful what you build it on. The scary thing is that a church can grow quite a bit before realizing it's on sand. So first, excavation. 
And we've done a lot of excavation as leaders over the last, I'd say, six, seven months. Examining how we do things, what we're really built on. And, and I just want to highlight this here because I think it's becoming increasingly important. I, so I, I was able to just take a sabbatical for a month in July, which means like a lengthy rest for a pastor, I guess, is what sabbatical means. And, uh, and one of the things that I've shared with several of you that I process most deeply was that I have over the last year seen 15, 20 of some of my best friends, folks that I know well, who have stepped out of ministry, have seen their churches completely implode, have walked away from the faith altogether. It's been one of the hardest things I've ever seen in my life. Some of you are familiar with uh, well-known podcasts now, like The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Some of these things are becoming popular and they're getting out there and the conversations are happening. And I'll just, to suffice to say, all those I was, those are all churches I've been a part of when you hear these narratives. And here's the thing, though, that as I've been processing this, that I've been coming back to again and again, and this passage helped me to realize, which is it is so easy to build on sifting sand. And I have a burden to make sure we don't as a church. And so we've been going back again and again and making sure we're not building on the sand of power. Building on the sand of celebrity. Building on the sand of political parties. And so we have a few commitments that I want to share of going forward how we will build on the rock. And here's the thing. The reason why I'm saying this, I'm going to get to what does it look like to house and what does it look like from there and constructing. But first, we have to be clear that we're building not on sand, but on the rock. Two commitments for health. First is accountable leadership. So one of the things as we build and we move forward, we want to make sure that we have healthy, accountable leadership. And we call this a plurality of leadership. One of the things is we've been deep in the process this summer of making sure that how we bring in leadership, that they're healthy and also that there's not just some kind of like yes men on some kind of a board, but that there is actual plurality and checks and balances. We've also been going through this summer making sure that there are helpful feedback structures, that there's transparency in decision-making. And here's the thing. I'm, I'm not going to unpack all of it. We're going to have some of these things more in like member meetings and whatnot, unpacking more details. There is no silver bullet at the end of the day for accountability. The silver bullet is actually the grace of Jesus Christ. But there are silver-plated bullets. There are things that are helpful. And what we are doing is we are doing the work of making sure we find those things and we employ those things so that we know from the top down we are a healthy church. And it leads to the second thing, which is prioritizing care. Prioritizing care. Accountable leadership and prioritizing care. And prioritizing care, one of the things that was a most painful statement I heard a couple months ago, someone who was in leadership here, they said, I realize that once I'm in leadership, no one leads me. <clears throat> but it was true. One of the realities was that there are so many things to do as the church is growing fast. And, and what happens is you start to put people in the positions that just keep things going. And what happens is they can just get kind of caught in the cogs and they get chewed up and there's no one there to care for. No more. One of the things that we are doing is we are focusing our attention and our time. We've done this with thinking through with the staff and how their time is allotted. We're doing this as elders, as leadership, to make sure that we are focused on leaders and members and caring for the 
the health of their souls. Now, again, I could go a bunch into these things, and, uh, but I just want to make kind of pinpoint there. Health. Building on the rock of Christ. Focusing on the things that Christ would have us focus on. And being a plurality of leaders because of the fact that Jesus is our head pastor. And no one person is. Now, so after you have excavation, then you lay a foundation. We have to have a healthy foundation in Christ. And so one of the ways how we are going to go about doing this is we are, as I was just saying, we're going to be focusing more and more on the care and the development of individuals throughout the body. In other words, discipleship. Brandon talked about this a little bit last week. And our vision is to help people know, love, and obey Jesus Christ. But then we do that by making disciples who make disciples. Helping people know, love, and obey Jesus Christ is just a way of describing how we make disciples. Here's the thing. You can make a church, but it doesn't mean you'll get disciples. But if you make disciples, you will always get a healthy church. And so what we want to do is we want to get to the foundation, to the rock, and we want to build that foundation not only as a church, but to help you in your individual lives to be discipled and to follow Christ and to actually know him, love him, and obey him. And so more and more of our focus is going towards discipleship and going towards resources that help you, that slow down and we come together. And I really believe that the future of the church is not so much just as a teaching center, but as a training center. Not less than teaching. Good teaching, biblical teaching, truth. But then also, how do we live that out in our lives? Practically, how do we implement it? There'll be more on that coming in the next few weeks. So after you lay the foundation, though, then the house, and we'll call it the scaffolding. Uh, you can actually throw up the, uh, the, vision, the diagram there. Uh, one of the, this picture, uh, it's probably hard for you to see it, but one of the things there we have kind of like the foundation underneath, and we have the gathering on Sundays. Uh, here's the thing. We as a church could focus on, we could do 10,000 good things. Every organization could do 10,000 good things. You tomorrow could do 10,000 good things. It's, there's so many things you could do, but the problem is if you try to do them all and you don't know exactly what you're focused on doing, then you'll try to do everything and everyone will run everywhere and everyone will be confused and everyone, and if you try to do it, you'll be burnt out by the end of the day. We have to have a bigger yes in order to say no to some things and our bigger yes is helping people know, love, and obey Jesus Christ. And so I want to talk about how we orient everything we do around knowing, loving, and obeying Jesus Christ. Our main focus as a church, it will be on first the gathering, here at the gathering, and then also in our relationships with one another through community groups. You've heard about community groups a little bit earlier during announcements. But in the gathering, our focus right now is that this would be a place where we remember and realign the gospel clearly every single Sunday. And I know that you're like, okay, uh, that sounds like a nice statement. What do you mean? What I mean is that this will not become a concert. This will not just become a show. That this whole thing that's happening right now on Sundays is not just about something performative. But instead, what it's about is making known the gospel of Jesus Christ from beginning to end, which I, we've unpacked before. I won't unpack how we do that now. But learning to retell the story of the gospel in an age where the church has lost the ability to tell the story of the gospel and how it gathers. And so every Sunday, we gather to be reminded and realign to the gospel. Then also community groups. Community groups, and I know some of you are like, weren't those just called connection groups a week ago? You would be right. Uh, we did change the name of them. 
And, and part of that's because of the fact that we realize that it's more than just connection that we want these groups to have. We want them to be a smaller community of the larger community of Anthem throughout the community of Columbia, where they are working out holistically the reality of the gospel in their lives. And so we, we did literally workshopping, and we want our groups to be thinking around how do we both know Jesus in this group, studying God's word, prayer, but also loving one another, having rhythms of fellowship, and working that out as well. And then also into obedience. What are the implications for sharing our faith, for serving our neighbors? One of the things some of you have heard me say before is that the, the most awkward thing is when you go into the gym and you have, you know, the guy who has like the huge muscles, right? He's just staring at his arms like, you know that breathing. Right, and he's staring at his muscles in the, in the mirror, right? And then he, and you're like, man, he has huge arms. That's amazing. And then he steps out from behind the bench and you look at his legs and they're like this thick, right? You're like, you're like, oh, that's awkward, right? It's because he never does leg day. And all he does is work on one muscle, and that muscle looks good. But then you look at the whole of his life, and you go, that's awkward, right? We as Christians can be awkward in the same way. Like, we can be the Christian who just knows their Bible but doesn't love anyone. We can be the Christian who serves folks, but they don't, they, they don't even know why they do it. We can be those who are in fellowship and we have our cathartic moments, but we don't actually, we just kind of keep getting into this mess again and again because we don't know how to apply truth or what to do with it. It's awkward. But God is after holistic growth, not just simplistic growth. And so our community groups are being designed in order to pursue that. Uh, you can throw up the Schizero diagram. Here's one of the things with this. I, this is from Pete Schizero, his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality leadership, discipleship, he's got a few. Highly recommend him. But he talks about modern-day discipleship, and here's what I, I want to capture. Here's what we're going for. Our model is not just, hey, we want to get you to come in here and then attend here and just be butts and seats, pardon the expression, butts and seats, and then you just give and you attend and partake in a concert, and then you connect, and then you just serve on Sunday mornings. Those things have to happen. They have to happen right? Or else you're going to get rear-ended in the parking lot, okay? <laughs> but at the same time, what happens is that's a funnel where we kind of drain everyone by the time and then look at the, just a drop on the world. What we want to do as a church is we want to be the kind of church where we focus in on those relationships in communities with one another. And what happens is as you form those relationships, relationships form from there and form from there and form from there and they multiply. And here's the thing. This is why I don't think in, if we actually accomplish this vision in a few years, we apply ourselves to it. I, don't, I think 1% is just a drop in the bucket of what the Lord would do. I want to see 20 churches in this city have 1% come to know, love, and obey Jesus in their church. I think it would just be a massive revival in this city. Massive revival beyond this city. We would see that second one. So all these things here that it's for the sake of forming relationships where we go deeper with Christ and as we go deeper, multiplying that in relationships with one another. And as that happens, it goes outward. And it goes outward into your individual lives. I know that I said we'll focus on the gathering and, and, the, and the, connect, or the community groups and some of the different ministries that are around Anthem, but the way that it works here is we want those because those are where you'll be most formed as a disciple. And then outside of that, think of the house like having scaffolding. That then there's always construction going on, that God is always sending you out and he's equipping you. You are the priesthood of believers and you are to be equipped 
and built up and sent out. And God is going to place unique things on each of your hearts and skills that he will give you. And he's going to send you out throughout the city, beyond this city, to do things we can't even think of right now. We haven't even imagined. So we will focus on these things for the sake of being sent out. Now, what will the result be? As I said before, I, if we focus on this vision, I, I can't guarantee we reach 1% of Columbia in five years. That is up to the Lord. It's up to the Lord. But here's what I can guarantee, is that if we are faithful to pack our lives, one another's lives, think of it like packing kindling around a fire. If we just in every small little step, just every encouragement, every relationship, every word, every deed, just like kindling that we're packing in one another's life, then here's the thing, as we pack that, then what I do know is that when the Lord's fire comes, there will be something to burn. And that is what we want. We want the fire of the Lord's presence in this church. We don't want to manufacture anything. We want to just be faithful to plant and to water so that when he comes with his fire, he provides the growth. That is what we can do. As Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. But if we focus on helping one another know, love, and obey Jesus, one, a few things, the results. Discipleship will be the focus of our efforts. Discipleship will remain the focus of our efforts. We won't be building our kingdom. We'll be investing in the work that God is doing in Jesus Christ. God's kingdom is about people and about them knowing him more deeply. We'll be provided a context for strategic and tactile decisions. Discipleship will remain our North Star. We'll ask, does this help people know, love, and obey Jesus? Just imagine that. When decisions come up, we'll ask, does this help people know, love, and obey Jesus? Or doesn't it? Does it distract from it? Does this help us reach the city, the campus? Our decisions will not be driven by preserving an institution, but shepherding souls. We'll have shared vision that creates cohesion, teamwork, community. Every member, I imagine every member here having a clear vision of the role that they play, the way that God is changing them and putting their roots in Christ and from there using them for his broader kingdom. And here's the thing, when I say teamwork, I also see this as a healthy ecosystem of churches in our city. We are not going to be a church that competes with other churches. We are going to be a church that contends for and with other churches for the sake of the gospel in this city. That includes on campus, that includes around our city and our neighborhoods. I would love to see this vision happen where, again, 10, 20 churches throughout this city also see 1% come into their churches. We'll work together, link arms. It's a broader kingdom vision. We'll be able to thrive past a few leaders. It's kind of in landing the plane here. At my previous church, we used to do this thing where one of the other pastors and I, where we would imagine where the church would be in 100 years. 
kind of close our eyes and we imagine what, what if. You can imagine what, what if. What if a hundred years from now? What if Anthem is thriving? I don't know, maybe it's planted lots of, it's got lots of baby churches all around, right? But it's healthy. People love Jesus. Your grandchildren are in this, this room. Well, hopefully by then we're not in the converted skating rink anymore. But you know what I mean. <laughs> You're like, where's the building in this whole talk? Uh, but they'll be sitting in the room, gathered with other believers, our grandchildren with other grandchildren, worshiping Jesus. Kids who are infants in that nursery now, ending the race, having become leaders, disciples of Jesus who led the church for decades. Can you imagine that as a legacy? And here's the thing we would ask one another. If that happens, who gets the applause? Who gets the applause? If they've never heard of me, am I okay with that? If they don't know any of our names, are we okay with that? See, what God calls us to is to find our legacy in something bigger. To find our legacy in his kingdom. Not in our kingdoms, not in the things that we build. The thing is, we're going to disappear from all of this. One day we will all be just some picture that's a memory in some attic gathering dust. And that'll be what, two, three generations from now? But Christ's kingdom will stand. It will endure. And that can be our legacy. Do you see the potential of what God could do? I remember when I was first captivated by the salt company. I saw a video, Troy Nesbitt, who's one of the founders in the network, and I saw a video, and he said this. This is where I'll close. When he was younger, he said, Paul said in Ephesians 3, Consider him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or think. Paul was writing to a church full of struggles, weaknesses, yet in the face of their frailties, he says, consider God. He is able to do immeasurably more than seems possible. On the other hand, to their big ideas, their lofty ideals, he says, consider God, for he is able to do immeasurably more than you can imagine. As God leads us forward, he is going to challenge us to do some things that we don't feel like we have the abilities, the resources, or the power to do. But if we will look to God and trust him, God will do glorious things in our midst. Our heart is that no one would be able ever to look at us and say, look at them. They did that. Look at their talent. Look at how they pulled together their resources. Look at their grit. But we want to be the kind of church that does such unthinkable, immeasurable things that the watching world will have to say, God did that. They couldn't have done it themselves. When they look at Anthem, they should see the gospel on display. Not perfect people, not just talented people, but imperfect people with the perfect Savior. Who find their hope not in themselves, but in a God, a loving God, who renews, who restores, who frees. See, Anthem, this is why we exist. 
to help people, to help one another, to help those who haven't yet walked through these doors. To know, love, and obey Jesus Christ. And to do that until one day, years from now, we all stand around the throne fully known, embraced fully in his love, and enjoying him forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you give vision, that you give clarity. Lord, I pray that we would see the beauty of giving our lives for something bigger to know you, to love you, to obey you. Lord, not to build our own kingdoms, but Lord, to seek yours. And so Lord, I pray that from here, each individual in this room, we begin to dream of the calling that you have upon them. And even those in this room, Lord, who just came in this room imagining in their head the default that they'll just be here for a few years for school. That, Lord, while even they're here during this time, that, Lord, you, they would have a deep sense of how you've called them to this time, to this place, for a specific purpose. Whether it be just for these years in university or beyond. But, Lord, that they wouldn't shelve your work during this time. But, Lord, they would seek you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would guide us into this next season. Lord, that we would be a church of health, through and through, health in Christ. Lord, that we would be a church that seeks to help one another know, love, and obey you, that seeks the good, the care of one another, that leaves the 99 to go after the one, but yet at the same time boldly proclaims you to the multitudes. Lord, that comes by your spirit, that comes by your wisdom. It comes through a heart transformed by you. And that is what we pray for. In Jesus' name. Amen.